Welcome into Bucks Insider presented by Verizon. Casey Phillips here with senior writer and editor Scott Smith for this Thanksgiving edition of our show. We hope everyone's having a great week, getting some good food, good time with family and friends, and uh, hopefully we're going to get a W to celebrate this weekend. I know this last one uh, was just, it was so sad, and um, they fought till the bitter end. They which did. I feel like it's got to be uh, encouraging. I know Coach Bowles is very clear about no moral victories, all of that stuff, but especially when you look at the game against them last year as compared to this year, definitely felt like there were more bright spots to play. Much more on. competitive. I mean, it was 28 to nothing at halftime last year, and this time I think it was 13 to 7. The Bucks had the ball to start the second half and uh, had a chance to take the lead and actually moved the ball to close to midfield, but had to punt, and then the 76 yard touchdown pass to Brandon Ayuk was really the turning point that allowed San Fran to open up the big lead. But as you said, the Bucks continued to fight. Uh, they scored again. They got an, they had a long drive. They got three more possessions inside San Fran territory, including two that got into the red zone but just couldn't punch it in. It, it, you're absolutely correct, and so is Coach Bowles, that there's no moral victories, and nobody felt good about that game at all. But there were some positives in terms of can this team match up with the best teams in the league? Yep, I agree with that. And, of course, in our weekly How Good is Levante David segment, <laughs> I feel like we're turning into a game show. Where it's just, this it's is him our and Mike Evans. Levante David and Mike Evans uh, segments. So for this one, we did have a pretty big milestone for Levante. Yeah, he had been getting close, and he passed Rondé Barber for second place on the Bucks' all-time tackle list. It was kind of cool. As you can see here, he kind of tripped uh, Brock Purdy there, and that was a sack. And that was the play that got him the uh, 14... 129th tackle. He's up to 1434 now, which anytime you pass uh, Rondé Barber, as I think we've said before, on any kind of career Buccaneer list, you know you're doing something well. It's, it's incredible that a defensive back had that many tackles, but now uh, Levante is second only to Derek Brooks. Probably not going to catch him. It's a long way, but one thing that he's close to Derek in is 100 tackle seasons. He's now at 90. I think that's pretty clear he's going to get to 100. Um, so when he does, he'll have 10 100 tackle seasons. He'll be only one of three players since 2000 to have 10 100 tackle seasons in that span. And he's, you know, very close to Derek Brooks in that category, which is obviously very impressive. Very incredible. And now, unfortunately, we also have to talk <coughs> about the fact that Levante uh, yeah. left the game with an injury, yep. and it felt like Everybody left the game with an injury. It was starting to get a little rough out there. I was a little worried you and I were going to get the call <laughs> to go in. Um, so we know that at this point, because of Thanksgiving, we're recording the show a little earlier than we normally do, which means no injury reports right. have come out yet. So what do we know at this point? What are we worried about? And, and what do you think is going to happen based on these potential injuries and who might have to fill in? Yeah, so Levante had the groin injury. Those are tricky. Um, Carlton Davis hip and Jamel Dean ankle. And even Tristan Wirfs left the game for a few plays with a leg injury. Uh, I think those are all legitimate concerns for this week. I, I would be surprised if all four of those guys are able to play on Sunday. Uh, we they got they all got MRIs on Monday, as you just noted. It's uh, earlier than we normally film this, so we haven't heard anything from the coaches. But we will hear today the results of those MRIs, which will give us an idea of the severity of those injuries. So you can follow that sort of information on Buccaneers.com. Uh, but we don't know quite yet, but it is concerning. 
And now one of the, I, I guess, I don't know, silver linings of all of that is we did get to see a bunch of young guys get some of their first snaps and then also just some young guys that have been stepping up already even before the injuries. Um, so what did you see from these young guys, if there are especially some injuries that are going to yeah. linger a bit, what do we see about these? I, I always love Coach Bowles calls it the puppy pound, which I love <laughs> whenever a bunch of the young guys are in there. Well, it's a crowded puppy pound uh, right now. I, I find it kind of incredible. I, I had to double check if I was thinking this right. We played seven, seven different rookies at some point on defense. I don't know if we ever played all seven at the same time, but there were seven rookies on, on the field. Defense. On just Yeah, on just yeah, defense. I'm not even talking about like Cody Malk and, yeah. and um, Payne Durham, but you had obviously Christian Izzian's been playing the whole time, as have been Kalajikansi and Yaya Diaby, who we could talk about a lot too. Uh, but you have Kayvon Merriweather actually starting the game. He's an undrafted rookie and because Ryan Neal is out and played more snaps than Dee Delaney. Uh, Josh Hayes was pressed into action because both starting corners got knocked out. So Zion McCollum came in first, but then you need another one. So Josh Hayes and Kayvon Merriweather played on defense for the first time. And Cervasier Dennis had to play for a while because uh, when Levante David went down. And honestly, the results when those guys were mostly on the field, which was like late third quarter and all the fourth quarter, weren't that bad. Uh, and coach said they did. Coach Bowles said they did a good job overall, and they flew around, as he likes to say. And he, he basically said that they they kind of don't know what they don't know. So they what they did well was play very hard. And one of those young guys, Yaya Diaby. I mean, man, starting to put up some <laughs> some great numbers and really making some some big splash plays. Yeah, he's got four sacks in the last four games. He's really coming on. Obviously, he plays with strength. That's one of his things. As you can see right there, he kind of overpowered the guy on that one. Uh, he had two sacks, his first two-sack game. And actually, kind of quietly, he's close to the league lead in sacks among rookies. Uh, as you can see here, he's tied for second. The big name on there is Jalen Carter because he went like eighth or ninth overall in the draft. Uh, but he's right there with him. And B.J. Ojolar, I think, might have been a second-round pick. Um, you know, obviously you're very pleased with what Kalijah Kansi has done, but to get a guy in the third round who actually can consistently put pressure on a quarterback, which he has the last four weeks, and we'll see if that will continue, but it looks good, um, That's that would be quite a good find in the third round. Yeah, for, for sure. And then now, of course, as we sort of <coughs> teased, it's a time for our Mike Evans segment. We did our Levante one <laughs> right. Now it's time for our Mike Evans I mean, one. it's not our fault. He just keeps doing it. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I love that, I love that we have to do this. I absolutely week. love this play, by the way, because if you watch it again, he, they play off what Mike is so good at here at the goal line, which is the fade, right? He's done it a million times, and he's fantastic at it. They actually faked the fade, and Baker actually kind of first turned like he was going to throw the fade. And so Mike gave the, the step out like he was going to run the fade and then cut back in. It's beautiful play calling because it's playing off of the expectations of the defense, knowing what Mike is so good at, and, and I loved it. Yeah. Uh, what it did was it moved him from 16th place into 15th place, tied with another Hall of Famer, Don Maynard, for the most touchdown receptions in NFL history. And we've been making these notes every week because he catches, he's had a touchdown in four of the last five games, and every time he moves up another spot. And it sort of gets repetitive, but then you stop and think, wait a minute. There's only 14 guys in the entire history of the NFL who have caught more touchdown passes than Mike Evans. This Mike Evans on our team that it's we've been watching for the last 10 years. Hall we've all, Hall we've of all fame. been spoiled. We've Hall all been fame. spoiled getting to watch. Oh yeah, get the jacket ready as Tristan said about Levante. You can say <laughs> it about Mike too. Um, and then another guy that I think man is playing at a future Hall of Fame level if he keeps up, Antoine Winfield Jr. Oh. <laughs> now he did have a record this game that I don't know is the record you always <gasps> want to have to have. 
but it's good to know that if called upon, he's obviously able to make the plays that 16 tackles for him this yeah, game. Yeah, the most by a defensive back in a game in team history. And I see your point, and I think that would be even worse if it was a cornerback who's in one-on-one coverage and they're constantly getting passes caught in front of them and having to tackle. No, as, as even Antoine himself said on Monday, you don't want your safety to have 16 tackles because that means there's a lot of plays getting downfield. But you do want a reliable guy that can make those tackles and clean up those plays, and that's what Antoine is. And he's had a lot of games this year where he's had turnovers and splash plays, and in this case, he had 16 tackles. So it's just another notch in his belt, another thing he can do, and uh, it just, to me, continues what is an incredible season for him. Um, and then now, even though, again, we've lost this last game, feels like we've had a few different losses recently, but the great news is absolutely not out of it, not even close to it, and still in basically a position to control your you really destiny within the division, within your playoff picture. So, um, yeah, here's the, the look at the division uh, situation right now. What, what do we have to do at this point looking well, ahead? The Bucks have four of their six games against division opponents still to go, including two against a 1-9 Carolina team, and in no way am I saying those are gimmies. N not at all. But when you talk about strength of schedule, you factor in that they're one and nine. The Buccaneers have already beaten New Orleans. They lost to Atlanta, and they're one game out of first place. And I was uh, I was talking to Jeff on Salty Dogs yesterday, and he was saying, I think we need to win six of our last seven. I'm not airing any dirty laundry because we already hashed this out. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as what's it going to look like next week. So the Bucks go to Indianapolis. If they can get that win, New Orleans plays Atlanta. So one of those two teams are going to lose. If Atlanta beats New Orleans and the Bucks win, I mean, I'm not telling you anything that's complicated here, you're tied for first with six weeks to go, and you've got four games remaining against division opponents, including one each against the two you're fighting for. It's all there for you. And I know from listening to Coach and the players in the locker room right after that game in San Francisco, they were not happy. But I know from listening to them that they are confident that they can beat anybody remaining on the schedule. Who knows? But I, I'm, what I'm saying is you don't go, we need to go 6-1 and one or we need to go 5-2. and two. You need to win this game, see where you are, and realize that it's all there in front of you. And I know it's kind of a cliche, but you said it, control your own destiny. It's actually true. The Buccaneers just have to win to win the division. They don't need help. Yeah, which is a great position to be in at this point. And probably the explanation behind uh, the news that we have recently that just came out about one of our games being flexed yeah. uh, is that these division games are going to be so important. So the de December 3rd game against the Panthers was at 1. Now it is at 4.05. So I'm sure that, again, it's that uh, schedule makers realize that these are going to be the games that determine some playoff stuff. Yeah, uh, so that's the second time the Bucks have been flexed. Got flexed for the Detroit game as well, which was the throwback game. Um, flex the way you want to be flexed as compared to getting pushed back. That's never the fun place to be in if you were the four and then you get flexed back to the one that everyone's always like. Yeah, I, well, personally, I wouldn't want to be flexed into the evening yes. because that really changes your schedule. But the important thing here is for fans who might be coming to the game or who are arranging their Sunday the following week uh, to understand and to know that the game's at four and not one. And then, of course, it is Thanksgiving, which means there's a lot of great community stuff happening within the organization and the team. And so also, I just, again, even after losses, love getting to point this stuff out of what the team is doing, taking some time on their day off. I repeat, day off during the schedule to be able to. We have the turkey time with the O-line here. And uh, you notice we got a we got a Baker Mayfield sighting at the <laughs> uh, turkey time with the O-line event. Love seeing how much he 
helps out and hangs out with his offensive line. We had uh, the Bucks partnering with Habitat for Humanity. Just a lot of really great stuff in this holiday week, giving back to the community. So props to the team for that, for sure. And again, thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you have a wonderful holiday, and we'll see you next week.